it's not hurting me necessarily, but it's uncomfortable. You just feel itchy, like you're wearing a wool sweater for too long. <laughs> Learning to live in an environment this extreme is actually really good. I'm like, damn it, I've already done all the goodwill. I've already dropped off all the cookies and helped out with kid things and shown what a good neighbor I am. And now I have to do it all over again. I'm still attached to this romanticism of it, of just anything is possible. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Shiny Objects. Elise Mason here with Jamie King. If you are listening to this podcast or know either of us in any context, chances are what we're about to say will be old news to you. But we think it can't be said enough. White supremacy is a cancer, and we will countenance none of it. We stand united against white supremacy and against white supremacist violence. If you are considering participating in acts of violence this week, don't. If you have family members who are planning to participate in violence, please sabotage them by any means necessary. Hide their car keys, confiscate their weapons, drain the gas out of their car, burn their Confederate flags, etc., etc. Okay, now that we've put that PSA out there, let's get on to the episode. Today's theme is Fresh Starts, which we came up with before the violent siege at the Capitol. In fact, we were recording this episode as the insurrection was unfolding. All that said, we wanted to bring the idea of change, transition, and fresh starts down from a national, global level to a personal level. So here we are, talking about relationships we dodged, cities we abandoned, and life courses altered. Thank you for being here. And may you and yours be safe. Hello. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Elise? I am good. I'm just sitting in my, you know, home office, looking at a very sunny blue sky and thinking about the coup that's taking place on in our nation's capital right now, which is a really weird feeling to imagine it happening. Yeah, it is so weird and terrifying. And it feels also anyways, yeah, it's hard to know what's happening really, or that feeling of do I really know what's happening? And tell me more. I don't know, this whole, the whole state of affairs feels very like house of cards to me these days. Oh, it does. That was such a good show. How are you doing? I, it's a weird, it's just a weird mood. I don't know. I'm otherwise fine. I, I, you know, there's no big thing in my little bubble here other than the Capitol building. Anyways, I think an update is due partially because I've been wanting to tell you this in a nod of appreciation. I ordered some melatonin gummies for kids, gummies, just melatonin. And we were having all those sleep issues, mainly I call it bedtime warfare, where Colby just refused to go to bed and would scream and scream. And it's hard. That lack of sleep and the strain on your personal time is really difficult. You just feel like very unraveled. We can't get anything done. And I ordered some of those gummies. And I don't know if it's the gummies 
or if it's just a few lucky nights so far. But we tried them for two nights in a row. And then on a third night, we didn't. It was last night. We didn't give him any. But we've had three, I wouldn't say easy, but I would say fine bedtimes. I would call them not warfare, just little scuffles. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's great news. Congratulations. So it's definitely feeling like, I don't want to jinx it because I know just as quickly as these things can come on, (laughs) there might be just outliers where if you just have a randomly good night or randomly couple good nights. So I'm not going to call it yet a trend, but I have had three easier nights of putting Colby down for bed, which has meant that I've actually been able to do things in the evenings, which has felt really good because it's, yeah, I'm like, wow, I like got laundry done and I did not like exciting stuff, but just the stuff that you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The little stuff that you just need to get done to keep yourself from feeling completely unraveled. Yes. whether you're sleeping or not. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for that recommendation. And again, who knows? <laughs> it's like with all of us. Who knows? Who knows? But you take whatever and you're just like, okay. Yeah. And we like, and he took them, he ate it willingly, which is also a struggle for us because he's, he rejects a lot of things, just whatever. <laughs> like he won't even try a pretzel. Have I told you this? No. I find this to be an amusing thing because you're like technically junk food. So like fine that you don't want to eat it. But also funny because he's never tried a pretzel and he like gets mad if we like offer him one. And I just, it, anyway. So it's stuff like that. It's hilarious. Like, even I don't know. We got fruit snacks, trick-or-treating. I think I told you about this. And all the other kids, like we were around, like opened their fruit snacks and ate them. And he had never had a fruit snack before just because just hadn't I don't know and I opened his fruit snacks for him because the other kids were opening theirs and so I was like okay here and he like did not want them like would not (laughs) so I'm like okay anyway random future Colby will be so mad at the kid who rejected fruit snacks (laughs) snacks and pretzels of like all things the kid who loves carbs who won't eat pretzels like basically a carb with And also all he eats these days are quesadillas. So (laughs) that kind of stuff when they reject fruit snacks or pretzels always makes me feel better about all the other stuff they reject. Because you're like, it's not actually that they're never going to like whatever healthy food. It's just that they're super weird and they just randomly reject things. Yeah. And sometimes no logic. (laughs) They also reject you. And also you, yes. (laughs) Puts things in such better perspective for sure. Or gives you a better perspective on like toddlers and their strange things. Like some days, yeah, he'll reject a certain pair of shoes or yeah, it's just (laughs) or a pair of socks and you're like, Okay, we wore these two days ago, but whatever. Whatever. Whatever you need. My four year old, there's this snack that she loves called Jammy Sammies. And they're basically fig newtons. But they're packaged up for a bougie, organic parent crowd. So she loves her jammy sammies. And it's something I can reliably use as a reward or when I need her to do something. I really abuse jammy sammies. But my two-year-old will never, ever eat them. He throws a tantrum if I so much as offer it to him. (laughs) And then 
just yesterday, my mom, of course, the grandma touch, she's oh Levi, do you want a jammy Sammy? And he starts literally doing a happy dance for this jammy Sammy. And I was like, of course, grandma got the jammy Sammy across the finish line. All the rejection, all the temper tantrum throwing over something where you're like, I'm trying to give you something that is a treat and you're mad at me. And then of course, grandma, oh, sure, I'll do it. That for us in our house, that would be dad. My dad, my kids call him Opa. And my dad has branded a certain category of food as Opa food. This is ice cream and French fries, all the things that you think of a typical grandpa loving are Opa food. And so whenever it's something new, he'll be like, kids, this is Opa food. And then they're like, ooh, it totally works. The branding completely works. They get really excited to try whatever is Opa food. (laughs) So I'm definitely trying to learn some things from my parents. That's very smart. I, it's funny you say that because (laughs) this is probably not the right long-term strategy, but (laughs) what I do right now, I have this ridiculous stash of gummy bears in my pantry I have gotten really it's embarrassing I'm just gonna say that it's embarrassing I I have become very liberal with my consumption of gummy bears and I just tell myself that they're necessary because I'm running that's what I justify in my mind that they're actually running fuel whatever so they live in my pantry and there's a lot of them and I eat them liberally and I sometimes I'll take a little handful, uh, especially in the afternoons when I'm feeling particular slump time and I'm hanging out with Colby and he'll ask me almost every single time, what's that? And I always go, oh, it's mama's spicy pepper candies. (laughs) Spicy, do you want one? And I always offer it. And then he'll go, no, I don't like spicy. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And it's, I don't know if it's the right long-term strategy, but for right now, he thinks red vines and like my sour Haribo gummy bears are both like spicy pepper candy. I have convinced him of that and he has not wanted to try either. <laughs> so great. <laughs> I'm like, if you, yeah, if you like it, but you can try it. <laughs> I love it. Just see how far you can stretch that one. <laughs> how old will be me before he learns what spicy really is. Yeah, and spicy pepper candies. Yeah. <laughs> in all kinds of forms, a red vine and a sour gummy bear. My latest version of lying to my children, besides the food stuff, is my four-year-old can't tell time because she's four, but she's really interested in being late for bedtime. She loves it when I'm like, oh my gosh, it's way past bedtime and we're just now reading stories. So to help with moods and urgency around reading stories and getting to bed... I've started telling her all the time, oh, it's all it's already bedtime. We better read this story now. And I think I'm overusing it, but it's just, it's such an easy <laughs> little lie that just motivates her right away that, let me tell you, we have been past bedtime almost every night recently. Sometimes those are just a gift, right? You can just get away with fudging these little things that just make a difference in yeah, moods and responses and also actions. Sometimes it will put a kid into action and you're like oh my gosh yes this is what I need Uh, just take advantage while it lasts because it's not going to last forever yes and they're just like the littlest motivators that's like we talked (laughs) about how sometimes we should just reframe I was telling you about this earlier that that I have been really reframing in my own mind screen time when you need it and you can just reframe it as problem solving these little 
fibs that we're telling them to motivate them. <laughs> we can just call those mm -hmm. uh, motivational messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all part of the same problem solving, right? Yeah, motivational messages and uh, problem solving. <laughs> Gosh, we're experts at this. My unimportant, important news for you today is that five days later, I still can't really turn my head. I strained my neck and upper back and shoulder last week, and um, it's taking a really long time to heal. And that's not so much my unimportant, important news, but more that I knew that this was coming. I had a very active week last week and I could feel my shoulders getting super tired and not in the good way of, oh, I'm getting stronger. I'm going to be sore. But when your muscles are like, nope, this is not the right thing for us to be doing. Mm -hmm. This is the bad kind of hurt. So note to self, listen, <laughs> when your body tells you it's too tired or too fatigued, sit down and take a break because the consequences are not worth it. It's really annoying. So that's my moralizing. That's my lesson to myself for today. Yeah, I want you to take that lesson because seeing you on a like a Zoom call with a heating pad around your neck, I was like, oh, that does not look fun. And if you don't realize how much you turn your head until you can't, it's hard to drive. <laughs> you can't like, change lanes safely. You have to move your whole body and it's okay. That's not really that safe. Uh, yeah, that is not awesome. But I'm glad that you're looking at the lesson that you can learn from it. Look at you taking those silver linings. My unimportant, important news is there's a few things, but I have been on this complete just tech failure 2020 ride. And I felt really accomplished with finally biting the bullet and getting myself a computer that works. And I feel so thrilled with myself for that because it works so well and it feels like magic. But now I'm starting to worry that I'm on onto a 2021 start with completely user error fails. <laughs> I have seriously in the last just few days, we started our hit and flow teacher training on Monday which was just a couple days ago. And it was so fun and so energized and so wonderful. And we were in the middle of something. We were almost done. Two minutes to go on the call. And I literally pressed the hang up button on everybody. Could not blame Zoom. Could not blame Wi-Fi. I fully just pressed the button and hung up on 30 something people. And that was embarrassing. Slash also I was just like, what in the hell? <laughs> I can't even blame the internet or whatever. I'm worried for myself. This is my very unimportant, important news because this is like very self-centered worry, but I'm very worried for myself for this year that it's going to be my year of like less technology fails and more user error because also this morning, I'm not even kidding. I'm running and my phone is in a zippered pocket and I had lock. I thought I had pressed the lock button and I pocket dialed so many people at some early morning hour this morning and who God knows what else I was doing on my phone that I don't know about. <laughs> Your brother got a pocket dial for me this morning, in fact. So yeah, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Last year was the year oh of gosh. this year of user error. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You've been like set free by all of your new technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're unleashed. Oh God. 
And then my other piece, this is like really just, I'm honestly just patting myself on the back because I feel like I've done cauliflower taco updates a few times. And so this feels like it needs to happen. But I have another cauliflower taco recipe that might become a constant in my house. But I basically, I made this recipe, these buffalo cauliflower bites that are in Half-Baked Harvest Super Simple Cookbook, I think it's called. And they are super simple to make um, and they're very tasty, but I made them into tacos and I made this cabbage slaw and this cilantro limey yogurt sauce in the, so like I made the slaw with that and then threw that on top and it's so good. These tacos tasted like a reimagined fish taco, but vegetarian style. And I just feel so pleased with myself for that invention and also caramelized onions on top because that is so good. Sounds delicious. My new cauliflower taco thing is just really on point. I even have two cauliflowers sitting in my fridge right now. They came in my box this week, so I might need to make some tacos. It is so easy and they're so good. And I just, yeah, I just turned the bites into tacos. And I, and the reason I'm thinking about it partially because I keep patting myself on the back for it since last night, but also because I just ate one for lunch because we had leftovers, which in this house... Mm is not quite a bit of cauliflower. Like I made a lot of tacos, but you just don't need that much cauliflower for tacos. And it's a great leftover also. Oh, nice. I feel like that in itself, just that you had leftovers counts as unimportant, important news. That's such a rare occurrence. It is. Oh my gosh. Sometimes, I don't know if this is the same in your house, but sometimes I feel there are these moments where this sounds really horrible, but there's these moments where I make something for dinner and I think about eating it for lunch the next day. And I have this grand imagination that might happen. And then I watch Casey just eat the rest of it. It just disappears. Sometimes I get really weirdly protective over it and I don't say it, but I think it and I'm sitting there doing and staring at him as he eats. And then I realize, yeah, I would be very upset if he was doing that to me. So I like cool my jets. <laughs> anyway. Oh, the mental gymnastics. (laughs) Yeah, of leftovers. Who knew? So much drama. Uh, And actually, I I want people to enjoy what what was cooked or whatever, but I just have those moments sometimes. And it's usually with something that's just like a highly coveted food item. Yeah. Or something I like imagine myself eating the next day. Now he's going to listen and be like, can I eat this? That's what this podcast is for, is sending... Passive aggressive messages to certain people. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Thankfully, I don't think he's all caught up, so it'll be a while. Today, we are talking about fresh starts. Mm. And this is a subject I love. I just love the idea of a fresh start, a clean slate. It just feels so romantic in the sense of full of possibility and fun to think about and imagine. But at the same time, I think it comes with a lot of, I look at it and I think there's a lot in the way before you get there. (laughs) And it just always sounds so difficult to me. That's where my mind goes. What sort of obstacles do you have to cross before you get to that place? And so as romantic as it sounds, it also sounds really scary to me. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Wait, let's talk more about that. I think of fresh starts as being like a clean break. You're just like, whatever, I'm free. (laughs) Making a run for it. (laughs) I always try to remind myself that the same way that I am always willing 
to give people, for instance, another chance or a fresh start at something. If something were to happen with a friend or an acquaintance, I'm always open to the fact that people can change and or that the second or third or fourth interaction could be different. And I'm open to that and I'm not going to hold on to anything. But I run into those the opposite thing with myself, where if I do something one time, like I don't show up in the best possible way that I can show up in a situation, the next time I come into that situation, even though I'm trying to grant myself this opportunity to start over or have a fresh start with that particular person, I always hold on to this deep fear that I've already soiled that. And I have to, I don't know, like I just can't really forgive myself entirely enough to just be like, okay, let's move on and move forward. That was just a small example, but I look at it that way where it never comes without some kind of price. Like even moving, I had a fresh start coming here to Portland. I, I knew almost nobody. I had one, one friend here. Hi, Tasha. And two friends. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> um, but in some ways, that's a complete fresh start. You're in a place where nobody knows you and you get to just make your own way through the world. But at the same time, the price of that is that you don't know anybody and all of that equity built in building a community elsewhere, it doesn't transfer, it doesn't carry over. And that's hard. <laughs> and I think the price paid there is that you have to go through all of those hard first dates experiences to make a new friend group and friend circle and community. And it just takes time and it takes a lot of diligence and a lot of energy. And so I, that's how I, yeah, that's why I think fresh starts always to me feel like they're laced with some hard work in between. <laughs> Not quite as liberating as we might think. <laughs> yeah, but also liberating. There is the romantic <laughs> side, right? You get to be somewhere new and just be like whoever you want to be. I think once you're actually in it, once you've taken that leap, you've moved to a new city or started something new, then you're in the grunt work where you've got to just do it. But that also feels, and I'm not someone who likes meeting people. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I like meeting people, but it's stressful for me. It takes a lot of energy and it's not my natural comfort zone. But that part of going somewhere new, even though it's hard and awkward and it takes longer than you think it will, or for me, it takes longer than I might think it would to meet people and make friends and things. I'm still attached to this romanticism of it, of just anything is possible. You don't even know what you don't know or what you might encounter or run into. I love that. You're so much more the risk taker in that. Which like, is a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have evaluated the risks before I'm like cleaning the shoes. <laughs> This is really crazy because before we were on the podcast, I was even saying how one of the things that 2020 really revealed to me was how tightly I hold on to certain things and that I need to stop standing in my own way. And so anyways, I think that's part of it, that I loved having the opportunity to move somewhere new and I thought it was really fun, but I also very much remember how hard that transition actually is. And that was the big price to me was having to start over into being to fit into my new community. It wasn't just a quick text away to having a run buddy who would run up a mountain with me. I had to run alone for almost half a year before I really found people that were in my friend group and wanting to do those things. And not that I can't run alone, but I would definitely sometimes be like, oh, I miss those easy connections. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's a way of honoring the work that you put in to make those connections, right? There's a lot of equity built there. 
And even when I quit my job to do this thing with you so many years ago, a decade ago, it, it took me quite a bit of time to fully quit. And I needed a serious push and kind of a harsh reminder of sitting in that gray space for too long and how hard that can be. But then once you do let go, it was the right decision. Staying half in the door, half out the door in my old career was not good. I didn't even realize how not good it was until I fully liberated myself from it. And I think when I finally was free of all of those client constraints and I could really focus on our business and what we were trying to build together. And I think those are really important lessons, but also I'm like, oh yeah, sometimes I have a hard time totally letting go. <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it comes from anything other than maybe just a place of fearing the unknown. <laughs> and as much as I am okay with a lot of ambiguity, like I'm a pretty spontaneous traveler and I don't need set schedules, etc. I think when it comes to the things that are super grounding and community, having people you can borrow sugar from or whatever, those things that just feel really stabilizing, I have a deep fear of not having access to those kinds of things. And maybe spending time abroad, I have maybe a little bit of fear over that isolation and loneliness um, that I experienced during that year, which was a really powerful year. And I had a ton of fun and it was an experience I feel very grateful to have had. But at the same time, it was really lonely and often isolating and, and I didn't have access to a community or really a true support system. So I think maybe it's somewhat from that, just having that fear trickle back in of starting somewhere new and being just somebody nobody knows and having to elbow your way into something. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That sense of having people to borrow sugar from has never been more clear to me how important that is since the pandemic hit when going to the grocery store is no longer something that you do just on a whim or at least for us like we haven't gone to the grocery store on whims for almost a year now and just having people that you can call or ask for favors even if you don't actually make contact with them even if it's just like a porch situation that's been really humbling and something that I've been feeling really grateful for in a profound way, not in a hashtag gratitude kind of way. Oh, I 100% agree with that. We also don't shop on a whim anymore. And it's been incredible how many times I have group texted my sort of direct neighbors to see if anybody has XYZ. And I feel grateful that we have those neighbors and that opportunity and that community. It feels really grounding and stabilizing. It makes you feel like you understand your place somewhere in a way, which is probably a really good thing for me to be talking about since we likely won't live in this same house and have these same neighbors a few months from now. And I, I'm excited for a change. We are going to be moving out of our current home in a few months, for those who don't know that. <laughs> and I don't know where yet, so don't ask. But yeah, I think about that a lot because I'm already mourning the loss of just having those same people that I have come to know over the years, just right outside and like having that easy rapport. Yeah. And there really is a lot of equity built up in those kinds of things. Yeah. I'm like, damn it. I've already done all the goodwill. I've already dropped off all the cookies and helped out with kid things and shown what a good neighbor I am. And now I have to do it all over again, <laughs> which maybe this is just really a conversation about networking and how hard it is <laughs> and, and how tightly <laughs> you should hold on to those networks because... Yeah. Maybe that's where it is. I feel a lot of 
maybe and that yeah maybe that's what it is like I take a lot of like pride in that that network that I've built and because I do put I do invest a lot into it and so maybe that's part of it it's just like knowing that there's like a pretty large investment of energy and space for those kinds of things this is such a nice follow-on to our paddleboard rewards <laughs> episode from totally the summer. <laughs> it totally is and I think that's my trepidation over some forms of fresh start but I don't think that's the only form. There's a lot of ways you could like think about a fresh start. I often think back to career transformations and how I would have handled that time differently, but hindsight. But tell me more about your romantic view or a fresh start that has felt really romantic. I moved to Chicago for grad school when I was 24-ish. And that felt like a really romantic fresh start. Looking back, I realized that I was stagnating in my personal and professional life and didn't really know how to get myself out of that in a more gradual way or a more thoughtful sort of long view way. So I went to grad school (laughs) and I moved across the country and I loved it. I loved that experience of getting to go live in a new city. And I had my built-in sort of Insta community because I was in school. So I think that makes a big difference, of course having done it the other way also. (laughs) But it was such a lovely way to just set aside the things that I was not that thrilled with, but didn't know how to let go without some kind of bigger rupture causing me to let go of them. I didn't know how to be a grown-up, basically, and end a relationship that I was ready to end without Mm -hmm. just moving. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't know how to figure out how to get a real person job. So I just moved. It was great. (laughs) And I really feel like that experience expanded so much of my sort of emotional and intellectual environment or boundaries. When I got into grad school, one of the professors that I had applied to work with called me. That's the cool thing about grad school. They call you when you get in. So I was talking to her and she's like, do you have any reservations about coming to Chicago. And I was like, honestly, just the weather. I'm really nervous about the cold. And she was like, I felt the same way. Honestly, learning to live in an environment this extreme is actually really good. It builds empathy for some of the things that you're reading about or the work that you're doing or other experiences you might have, just having more sort of extreme experiences and the weather completely counts as an extreme experience. And I always think about that comment when I think about growth or fresh starts or change is like, sometimes you have to be exposed to those extremes and that helps you build emotional muscle or resilience. I love that. And I think moving to Chicago just to move there for grad school, but to move there was a really nice way to build that emotional muscle. I was challenged in ways I had never been challenged before. And I got to explore a whole new city and just, I got to show up, however I wanted to be in that moment in my life. And in your 20s, that changes quite a bit. <laughs> so yeah. it was fun to like not have anyone know me or know who I had been. I just got to be what I wanted to be right in that moment. Yeah, I remember I came to visit you shortly after you moved to Chicago. And I remember you were really lit up in a really nice way. Lit up sounds funny, but you were, you were lit up and you seemed really uh, light in your life and where you were at and really happy with 
your new situation and yeah. And your life was really different than it was before you left. And that was fun to see. It's funny. I also did that very non grown up style, fresh start. And I had <laughs> forgotten, I, I forget about this, but I'm, it's always in the back of my mind because it's one of those relationship things that you do that you're not the most proud of, but <laughs> in the moment, it's easier than having a hard conversation with somebody or just admitting that something isn't working or right, where and sometimes I feel like that's the more grown up and also just decent thing to do and the courtesy I would want. But I also did the same thing around the same age as you. I didn't move across the country, but I just up and left. I, I literally <laughs> was in a relationship, uh, college boyfriend who was lovely, he's a wonderful person. And I felt this weird sense that just, it just wasn't where I was supposed to be anymore. And I was feeling really itchy all the time. It's the only mm-hmm. way I can describe it. And I finally just, I literally one day came home, we shared an apartment in Berkeley and I came home and I was like, yeah. And I think our lease was up or something like that. And I was like, well, I got this really cool place. I just went and saw it in the city. And he was like, Oh, okay. Like, thinking I found this place for the two of us. And I was like, oh, not for you. I'm moving there. (laughs) Basically how I broke the news. But then I still wasn't even adult enough to really break it. I just sort of packed up and left and then just left him hanging. And (laughs) yeah, it took me a lot more time than it should have to be more clear about where I was headed. (laughs) Yeah. But I didn't feel confident in my own decision-making. I didn't feel like I had any justification for being ready to move on. And because also like college boyfriend, he's a wonderful person, wonderful human being. But I didn't know at 24 how to be like, both of these things can be true. You can be great and there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm no longer in this relationship. (laughs) I don't know how to do that. Either. It's a skill I wish someone would have taught me because it would have saved a lot of this feeling like you feel gross about yourself because you I, or at least I, I did for a half for a really long time about that. I always think I did that wrong. And full disclaimer on that too, is that I wasn't just like moving to a new city. I like had fully, I was quitting a job. I was going into a brand new career. I found the apartment. I did all of these things without really talking about it. <laughs> and I just <laughs> out and it was just so abrupt and I wasn't mature enough to just talk about it. And I instead avoided it and just let him be in limbo. And he eventually moved to San Francisco. Also, we were not in the same place. He lived in a different part of the city, but he was texting all the time and trying to figure out when I wanted to get together. And I couldn't be clear. I just wasn't ready. Again, I was holding on to something a little bit because I was too afraid of the repercussions of not having that friendship and also having to hurt somebody, which sucks, but it's better to do that. Now I know better. It's better to just do that and come clean so that you can start fresh and both of you can start fresh if it's a relationship. But yeah. Yeah. I think that's the lesson I have to keep learning. I've had to keep learning over and over again is it actually hurts less to just rip the bandaid off <laughs> Uh huh. and be honest and just do it and be clear. Yeah. That's funny. You were talking about the Chicago move and I was like, oh yeah, similarly. (laughs) I also did that to somebody, which I know that. Listeners, if you have a similar story, please let us know. We'll keep you anonymous if you want, but I'd love to hear who else has done this. Oops, I'm moving. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, 20s are such a weird time. That, or at least for me, right after college, 
relationship, life, that's a fresh start, right? You graduate and there's some people, right, that graduate and they have a very specific thing that they're going to do and they know it all along. But I graduated without an instruction manual (laughs) and I was so lost after college and I went to, we both went to a prestigious university and I was going to say I went to one because I'm, what I mean by that is that you think when you go to a school that's so good and people know it's a big deal, whatever. And then you're like, then surely I'm going to leave this place and I'll know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) But that did not happen for me. There was no instruction manual. I was really lost. I was trying to figure out my next steps, but I just really didn't even know where to look for them. And I was, I just felt like this itchy person for a year where I was doing things that I just wasn't I just was like, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. But I just kept doing it anyway. And yeah, that's a weird fresh start. That's that was a big transition time for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the way you describe it as itchy. That really feels accurate (laughs) for when you're in that spot where you're like, this isn't right, but I don't know how to get out of it necessarily. Yeah. It's not hurting me necessarily, but it's uncomfortable. You just feel itchy, like you're wearing a wool sweater for too long. (laughs) My clothes are chafing me. This relationship is chafing. Yeah. And yeah, and there's nothing otherwise damaging about it. It's just an itchy thing. Or you start like acting out and, or at least that was my response was like, it felt easier than just being honest. And I would just act out. (laughs) Just be like, I would just be like mean or like, intentionally shitty and I don't want to show up like that (laughs) so yeah I think yeah fresh maybe that's why fresh starts are such a challenge it's because you have to be honest with yourself and whomever is part of that start to do it and it takes a little time at least for me to get honest with myself about certain things or at least the stuff I hold on to tightly and I'm like there's a theme right one of the things I was most fearful of and I did lose this friendship because that's what happens when you break up with somebody was just losing my connect like friendship with this particular person and all that equity that we had built in a relationship and I'm not talking about the romantic side of things but I I, yeah I I hated hated that feeling but I realized that for both of us to grow and get to where we needed to be that was what we had to do and it worked out for the best (laughs) look at me giving myself my own lessons Let me ask you this, after a fresh start and whichever one, pick your poison, do you find yourself regretting that decision? I think with any fresh start, right, there's a place in you that mourns something from your past or sees it maybe even in a new light where you wish you had taken fuller advantage or tried harder or whatever. I think about that in relation to, for instance, going abroad for a year, I think sometimes back to that experience, that fresh start, and I think to myself, gosh, I really mourn that time that I had, that luxury of time and that privilege to just travel and be very free. And I had to go to school, but yeah, yes, there was school, but it wasn't that intense, even though it was in another language. But I think back to that fresh start and I think, gosh, I should have taken better advantage. I should have done all these things. I should have been more open to failure at that time or just I don't know I got I was really afraid sometimes of messing up speaking wise and so I feel like I held myself back a little bit because I would like not open up as much to other people because I was nervous about you know sounding dumb (laughs) which 
<laughs> of course, you don't sound like your native speaker. You're just learning. But in my mind, I think I got so used to always being the A plus student that it was hard to be really challenged by something. And then the move to a new city, of course, I mourn my old community and some of my old trails and just looking spots. But honestly, I don't look back on those things as something that I regret. I don't regret making those decisions or those leaps or changing places. I think you hit the nail on the head. There's really no better way to say it, but my emotional intelligence and gosh, what your grad school professor said, it teaches you, I don't know, that challenge of just being in a new place and whether or not it's an actual extreme environment or weather. <laughs> I think yeah, it gives you that really amazing capacity to have more empathy and understanding and perspective. So I don't regret any of it. I think all of it was exactly as it was supposed to be. The things I mourn are just people I don't see as regularly. Or I look back and I do this all the time, like to a fault. I look back and I go, God, I wish I had taken more advantage of X, Y, Z. I wish I had been a little more mature or a little bit older or able to handle this differently than I did. But I say that, but then I'm also like, would I have learned what I know now had I not been that immature, that whatever, that whatever, that whatever. So. Yeah. Hindsight. <laughs> Hindsight, I know. When I look back on any of the fresh starts that I that can come to mind at least, there's really nothing that I regret about any of them. I think all in all taking plunges and taking risks has just always been the net good. Yes. Whether it's because of growth or opportunity or just adventure or I don't know, novelty. I think like that's so important. Just having new experiences and new places and new faces always feels really invigorating, or at least in hindsight, it feels invigorating. It might feel really stressful in the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think it's always a net gain, net positive, but it's, but I definitely, I still always have that lens of it comes with a little bit of hard also. It's never that thing you imagine where you just are like, you know what, today I'm going to pack up all my belongings and go live in paradise. <laughs> it's not eat, pray, yeah, love. No. But I think it's an interesting time to talk about it because I think 2020 gave a lot of people a lot of time to think about and or necessity to think about fresh starts or just new newness. And now that we're all in a new year and we're still doing a lot of the same it's an opportunity just to be like what could I be doing differently in my life right now I took a nod from I believe what you said on the last episode about some of your new micro habits and I just this is a, a very small fresh start but I told you it was impossible for me to read a book at night or not a whole book <laughs> a page or at anything just like open a book at night these days because of the sleep warfare going on here but you know what I was like reframe that you could totally do it and I have been reading every night before bed so thank you for that yeah, little fresh start that I needed and actually I'm sleeping a lot better and I so I appreciate it oh great that's awesome and I'm making great headway in my book so that's also a plus one more question for you I think it's a funny quirk or complication in your personality and that you love challenges. You love climbing up hills. <laughs> you always want to be pushed and to grow and do harder things. But this is an area where it seems like you're very aware of the costs of challenges. And 
I'm just curious how you think about all that, or is it a totally different thing, like a challenge that's physical versus a challenge that's more about your network? It feels really different to me when I'm challenging myself physically and or going on a spontaneous adventure, like traveling, that kind of thing. I go into it thinking this isn't certain, right? Like climbing this hill, I'm not going to necessarily do it at the same, the pace that I want to, or it could be muddy today, or it could start raining. There's so many variables <laughs> that I go into it with little expectation for it to be exactly as I think it's going to be. And I think there's something about making these big life upheavals where you already have baked in some sort of stability and sameness and just this grounded feeling where sometimes uprooting that feels really scary. I don't know if that really is, makes very much sense, but that's, I think that's the way I look at it. And maybe it's from being a kid and uprooting at a critical age in terms of maturity and development. When we moved from Southern California to Northern California, I was basically almost in middle school. And I went from being at my school where I had a lot of friends and I had grown up with those kids to a school where I didn't, I didn't really know anybody other than you, but we were in a different grade, which matters when you're in you know, <laughs> elementary to middle school. And that adjustment was hard and it was really hard. And so maybe there's some of that in there where I, I felt like all of a sudden I had the chance to be somebody different, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to be. I, I felt like all of a sudden I was like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to be here in this place. I don't know these these kids pass. I don't know what games they used to play. I don't have any background context. And it was harder for me to find my footing and fit in. But I was really good at masking that and pretending I loved it every moment of it, but I, I really didn't. <laughs> and it was a really huge upheaval because we went from living with my grandparents, my mom, my brother, myself, and my grandparents to living just the three of us, which was fine. It's just it changed a lot of things about like where we were living also. <laughs> and it was going into this very small house in a part of town that people used to tease about and just a lot of stuff that kind of came with that at that age. And in the town that where we grew up, that I, I had a really hard time finding my footing there and not being affected by my peers and the judgments and the being the new kid and people wondering things about me and having a slightly different style than other people and just, yeah, my back, you know, just where I was from was different and it was hard, it was really hard. And it was a weird age to be like totally uprooted. So I feel for kids that have to do that because, or that do it regularly, because it's not easy. Even if it's fun and you learn a lot, it's also not easy. And kids can be very mean. <laughs> yes, they can. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think way harder to do that as a kid than a grown up. Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. And, the, and then the funny part was that the challenges that I had in high school with a particular friend group and some things that people were awful, I remember telling my mom, I just want to go to a different high school. I just want to move on from this. I want to start over. And she was like, that's impossible. I'm not going to like drive you all the way somewhere else. And zip codes matter, et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, I like wanted that. I was craving it. I was like, can't I just wake up one day and go somewhere and have everybody be like, oh, who's this person? And I could be, I could reinvent but at the same time, it would have also been probably just as scary as starting over in a new school as I had already done and had experienced. So yeah, maybe it's left over from that, that feeling really unstable for a bit of time, like at that age, because I have very strong memories of that time of the frogs that there was always, and this is so weird that this is like such a strong memory, but the first house we lived in when we moved had the 
I don't know what you call those, like the storm drain maybe kind of thing. And for whatever reason, it was like a favorite spot for frogs. And so in the summer, we would always have our front kind of sidewalk driveway area littered with sun zapped frog carcasses. (laughs) And I, yeah, and I felt like that was my first summer living there. I felt like a zapped frog carcass most of the time. Oh my gosh, how awful. (laughs) Because I was just having like struggles with fitting in and like, inviting people over to my house and having them make fun of the fact that we had no furniture. And I remember always those frogs, those like dried, nasty, dead frogs all over the, the sidewalk and the driveway. And then speaking of frogs, oh my gosh, I don't know why this just came into my mind, but you and I also then lived in the same town, which was a first and very exciting for me as a kid. And you got an aquarium. And do you remember our frogs? Every single frog would end up in that. What was it like a vacuum? I don't even know. I I forget what it was for, but it was like a vacuum. And somehow they would always end up there and we would find their little froggy legs hanging out the bottom. And it was the most horrifying thing. (laughs) Anyways, I always think of those frogs. And how horrified I was. Frogs. Dismembered frogs. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate you leaving a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. And please check out our sister podcast, The Activist. That's active with an E-I-S-T. Thanks for being here and see you next time.